If you have Bibles with you, I'm going to encourage you to open them to the Gospel of Luke. We're in chapter 9. Um, we as a church, typically, we go through books of the Bible. Uh, we take our time and we look at each verse and go through it and learn about what God has to say to us. We've been in this gospel since last December 1st, <laughs> and we're only in the ninth chapter. We did take a break uh, over Easter and over the summer for uh, some special series. Um, but I want to just read this passage for you today. It's in Luke chapter 9, verses 18 to 22. We're going to spend a few minutes in this passage today because I think it's remarkable that the Holy Spirit would line up baptisms on this day when we're in this text. So let me read it for you, and then we'll have a look at what it has to say. Now it happened that as he, Jesus, was praying alone, the disciples were with him. And he asked them, who do the crowds say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist. But others say, Elijah, and others that one of the prophets of old has risen. Then Jesus said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, the Christ of God. And Jesus strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed. And on the third day, be raised. This is the word of the Lord. Amen? Yeah, so this is a great day. It's, a, it's, a, it's an incredible day. I, I got to tell you, as a, as, a, as a pastor, but I'm sure for every one of you who's a member of the Rock Church since we planted this church nine years ago, uh, this is the kind of day that you look forward to, to the day where um, people who have been following along with you, walking with you as you're following Jesus and you're growing in your faith in him, and you're struggling through life like the rest of us do, in your faith, in him, that people are coming forward and saying, I believe. And therefore, I must be baptized as an act of obedience. So honestly, it doesn't get much better than this, does it? It doesn't get much better than this. And so I find it remarkable, as I alluded to in the beginning here, that, that we're in this text today. I've told you this before. Some of you know this is completely true. I am not the sharpest tool in the shed, okay? I don't figure these things out. Here's how this actually happened, that we ended up in this text today. We took a break a couple of weeks ago because last week we were having our family pancake breakfast, and we were hearing some gospel stories from other people. And then a few weeks before that, we had had a baptism class because some people were, you know, asking about baptism wanted to know about it, when we were thinking, yeah, it's about time, you know, like, or, you know, like we were encouraged that they wanted to have a baptism class. But when you have a baptism class, which we did three weeks ago, maybe four now, I can't remember, um, you don't know who's going to actually show up, whether the people who said they're interested will actually show up, so you don't know. So we planned it, and we had the baptism class. And uh, five, actually six people showed up. I was completely surprised at who some of them were. It was awesome. But then there's the process of once you go through the baptism class, which is about an hour long. Well, you know me, I talked for a while, so it could have been an hour and a half, okay? With, with, their questions were awesome. But, it, so, so, but there's a couple of things that are going on in baptism class. A, they are wanting to know through the baptism class, am I truly saved? Am I truly a Christian? So, so that therefore I can or should be baptized. 
That's why we have baptism class. The second reason is, is so that I will know. <laughs> the person who's going to be asked to perform the baptism, and it's not a matter of, well, I'm the judge. No, it's not that. It's a matter of, so that you really do know. So that this step of faith is real in your life. And so we did that. And so after that, you just don't know. Who's going to phone me? Who's going to email me and go, yeah, okay. I really want to go through with this. And so you wait, right? And then after that process, some people started getting a hold of me. And now we need to have an interview. We need to have a time to get together and hear their testimony and, and ask them to write it out. And so all I'm trying to say is, is that the timing was such that we don't know when we're going to have baptism Sunday because then we also have to ask all those people who are interested in being baptized, are you available on this Sunday, right? And it just worked out that November 11th was the Sunday that they were also available. And so here we are at this day. And, and what's so remarkable about this that, again, I didn't organize this. They didn't. The Holy Spirit did. And why do I say that? This text this actual text. I don't think there's a better text that I could have picked to talk about baptism. And so I think we're going to see that this is really, the text here reveals the answer to the one question, the one question, the most important question that every human being is being presented with. Who is Jesus? You get that right, you live forever with him. You need to get that answer right. So critical to get that answer right. And so today we're going to hear the testimonies of three women and two men uh, who have, and they're going to declare the answer to that question. They already have, but they're going to declare the answer to that question for you here today. And that is amazing. Amen? It's amazing. So really brief sermon for you this morning. Someone say hallelujah. Okay. Its title is The Most Important Question. And so let me, let me just go through the verses with you because I want you to see some really wonderful things that speak about this question today. Starts off in verse 18. Now it happened that as he was praying alone, the disciples were with him. And he asked them, who do the crowds say that I am? So Luke, again, we, we remember, remember that Luke is this uh, Greek man. Uh, who never personally met Jesus, but he's been collecting through eyewitness meetings and stories all of those who did see Jesus alive, crucified, buried, and resurrected from the dead. He's accumulating a story, putting it all together in what he called an orderly account. He's a previous skeptic and a pagan who came to faith in Jesus Christ. And he tells us at the beginning of his gospel that the reason why he's doing this and at the beginning of the book of Acts is because he has a good friend who's also a Greek pagan skeptic, or was, and he wants his good friend Theophilus to have certainty about who Jesus is. And so when he says here, now it happened, Luke is actually skipping forward about three to four months from the last passage, which was the feeding of the 5,000. If you read the Gospel of Matthew, he fills in the blanks when Jesus was going through the, the cities of Tyre, Sidon and uh, the De Decapolis, which is a, a group of 10 cities where he's preaching through there. And then, so this is three or four months later. And as it happened, now as it happened at this point, Jesus has left. He's into a quiet place. And as Luke does seven times in his gospel, he says that Jesus was alone praying. Before every major event in the life of Christ and the life of his disciples, Jesus prays to the Father. This is a big day. 
This is a turn in the life of Jesus and in the lives of his disciples who are following him. And so he's going to ask this amazing question. And so now Jesus is alone praying, something that he records, and he looks at the the guys, he calls them together, the 12, and probably about another 80 or 90 men and women who were following with him. And he says, who do the crowds say that I am? Some of your Bibles might say multitudes, because there were thousands upon thousands of people following Jesus, wanting free meals and, and healings and to hear his preaching, yes, but there were thousands following him. So what I, what I find interesting about this, you notice, because if it was me, you know, I don't know, like I'm a preacher, right? I'm a pastor, right? I don't know if I'd be thinking, who do people say that I am? You know, like, I, I want to know, know, what do people think of me, right? Don't you? Like, it's not a matter of what do people, who do people say that I am? It's, it's what do they think of me? Jesus doesn't have to ask that question at all, does he? he? He's not really concerned about public opinion. He loves them all. But he's, as we've seen in the Gospel of Luke so far, he's, he's not really into the crowds. He knows, he knows he is God in the flesh, even though he loves and he continually for two years now keeps preaching the good news of the, cost of the gospel of the kingdom of God to the, those crowds that are coming out to them. But he knows they just want him to be a wise teacher, a feeder, a miracle worker, but not Lord, not Lord. And so he asks this question. He wants to know if they know who he really is. Well, the disciples answer, and it's interesting. They said, well, some say John the Baptist. Um, Others say Elijah. And then others, that one of the prophets of old has risen. So, so again, I, I read these things, and I, I don't know about you, but I pause when I read the Scripture, and it's just when I'm reading for, for pleasure or for devotion, but also in preparation, I read this and I go, okay, what's going on here? Like, wh- why is it that they, they mention these, these other guys, these other men, and, and that nobody, nobody apparently has, when they've been talking about Jesus, the disciples have not heard one single person say when uh, someone else says, hey, this, this guy who's doing all these miracles and preaching these wonderful sermons, I hear he's coming to town. Who is he? You don't hear one of them saying, well, he's Jesus. He's, he's a man from a small town who, who was born of a virgin. Like angels declared that. And, and, and he lived this wonderful life, really respectful and obedient to his mother and his father. And, and, and he never sinned. And then at 30 years of age, he comes forward and he's, he's preaching about the kingdom of God. He's declaring to be God. He's declaring to be the Messiah. And he's healing every sickness. He's raising people from the dead. That's who he is. Nope. No. Apparently, no one in the crowd was saying that. So what's really odd is this, and I want you to see this, please. They say he's just another man. They say he's just another one of these miracle workers. In fact, he's probably, you know, God has probably sent back you know, John the Baptist, who was pretty amazing, or Elijah, he was really amazing, and then maybe Jeremiah or some of the other prophets. And that's what God has done here. He sent one of those guys back in this person's body. It's odd when you think about it, isn't it? I mean, I'd have to spend more time, and we will unpack this a little bit more next week, because we're going to start here and then go on 
in the gospel next week. But it's not unusual, actually, in those days for some of them to think that way. So they don't see him as his own person, as someone unique. No, he's just probably another run-of-the-mill healer, prophet that God has sent, but he's not the one. He's not the one. I mean, look at him. He's poor. You know? How's he going to overthrow the Romans? Look at him. It's nice, but just look at him. So what are we to make of this? Well, let me suggest we understand this. Those crowds in those days, up until this point in time that have been following Jesus, are mostly Jewish, right? And, And their expectation at this point in time in their lives, in the history of Israel, is the Messiah is going to come, he's going to overthrow the Roman Empire, and hear me, then he's going to put us in control. We're going to rule and reign with him, but, you know, we're going to have that responsibility. We're going to be those people. That was their view from the Old Testament. No, they built up in their minds the kind of Messiah that they wanted, not just expected, but the kind of Messiah that they wanted, a Messiah that, again, was going to do things for them, fulfill their needs, wants, and desires. It's interesting. So I want to suggest to you that we're 2,000 years out from this, right? But have things really changed today? When you think about it, what are, what are the crowds, what do most people think about Jesus, right? Most people today, you've heard of him, I would think, right? Most people, well, he may or may not have lived. There's all kinds of interesting discussions. Just Google it. You know, like, it's unbelievable the information you can come up with, which isn't true. But what do they think of him? Well, he was a wise teacher, really, really loving man. I mean, I love his Sermon on the Mount, you know. That's just amazing stuff. I mean, clearly, he's, he's wise. I mean, you know, along with other religious leaders that I could put on my tool belt, I don't mind having a little bit of Jesus to help me get through my life. I love the words. I'm going to read them for you. I've read them before of C.S. Lewis from his book, Mere Christianity, because this is the truth about understanding who Jesus really is. And he says it very well when he says this, I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon or... But you must not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being simply a great human teacher. Why, he concludes, he has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. So we know who the crowds say that Jesus is. But now, in front of his disciples, Jesus personalizes it. He makes it personal, doesn't he? He says this. He looks at his disciples and says, But who do you say that I am? And Peter answers, The Christ of God. Good for you, Peter. Matthew tells us, 
that Jesus reminds him that that wasn't your brilliant thinking, Peter, that came to that conclusion. You didn't just figure that out. My heavenly Father revealed that to you. And that's the truth for every one of us who's placed our faith in Christ. Amen? We didn't do anything to earn this. You can't. We didn't work our way up to salvation. You can't. You didn't realize it and then place your faith in Jesus and get baptized. He revealed himself to you. So if you're here today and you don't know him, you doubt him, you're a skeptic like Luke was, pray that he would reveal to your spirit in you that is spiritually dead at this point in time and make you alive. And you know what? He promises if you will do that, he will. If I knock, if you knock, he's there at the door waiting. So this is remarkable. I love that Jesus asks this of his disciples. And listen, he's asking you and I that same question to this very day. It is the single most important question that you will ever have to deal with in your life. It's such a simple question. It's such a loving question, the way it's asked, isn't it? So, so listen, I, I want to put it to you this way. Why, why do you think Jesus stopped at this point in his ministry with these guys and the women that are following him? Why would he stop at this point and ask this question? Well, well, the answer lies partly in what he says next, which we've already read, and I'll get to, doesn't it? He wants them and all of us, listen, I think at the bottom line, it's this. He doesn't want just to go to a party and say, hi, my name's Jesus. Uh, by the way, what do you do? what's your name and what do you do? He doesn't want that. He wants to know who you are. He wants you to know him personally. That's why he's asking the question this way. He wants you to know so that you will believe and trust what he is going to do and did do for you and for your sins, meaning that if you know him for who he really is today, he will know you and I in the resurrection from the dead. He's been walking with these men and women for two years now. And he's like, you're not part of the crowd, obviously. You've been following me. Oh, I want you to believe in me so that what I'm going to do, what I'm going to do will save you. Will save you. Most important question that has ever been asked. He wants to know you and to know you as his disciple, as a child of God, today and forever. Matthew records these words after Peter's correct answer. I love it. Peter gives the correct answer, and then Jesus says, because of the correct answer, Jesus says, look at this, Peter, and I tell you, you are Peter. I know you. And upon your testimony and faith in me, upon this rock, Peter, his name means small rock, testimony in Jesus, rock, Petros, big rock, I will build my church. That's how Jesus builds his church. And of course, in our passage today, Jesus then says to his disciples, and he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the chief elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed, and on the third day be raised. Now, I got to be honest with you. If I was there being the, you know, like like now that I am this pastor dude who wants to go out and preach the proclaim the truth about who Jesus is, like Peter's like, I just gave you the right answer and you're telling me to shut up? what he's telling him. Well, why? 
They got it right, but they don't know the rest of the story yet. You and I do. We know the rest of the story. So I'm going to leave it there with you this morning because uh, we're going to go more deeply into this next week and start there. But I want to move to our testimonies this morning, and I want to first just share some verses with you. Uh, as I approached the baptism day with the, those who were in the class, I, I gave them each the 29-page manual. That's <laughs> exactly what it is, right? They look, oh, this is serious, right? And, uh, but I started off by saying, like, can I just remind you of the story in Acts chapter 2, right? This same Peter who had denied Jesus three times, now is filled with the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, and he preaches the, the best, most amazing gospel sermon of all time. He's on fire, right? He preaches at heart. You crucified this Jesus. You did this to him. It's you that are responsible for his death. It's your sins that were laid on him. He's really going. It's fire and brimstone stuff, okay? It's serious stuff. And then we read in verses 37 and 38 where it says this. Now... When they heard this, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so I said to the class on that day, listen, I just want you to understand that this is, this is the basis for being baptized. You hear the word of God, you hear the truth about who Jesus is, and you allow the Holy Spirit to cut you to the heart, to cut through all that nonsense in your, in your heart, that rebellion against God, and you let him open your heart up to Jesus, and he does. And then Peter simply says, repent. Turn from your past life, from trying to make it on your own. And then he says, and look, be baptized. And this was my encouragement to the class because then it goes on in verse 41 and says this. So those who received his word were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls to the church. This is the beginning of the church. And so here's the encouragement. The encouragement was, yeah, you need to come to baptize, baptism class and read these 29 pages, right? But you don't need a degree in theology to get baptized. They didn't have time for that that day, did they? Repent and be baptized. Trust in Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Amen? Amen.